Hit pause. If only I could restock. And all of what's going on around us can give a sense of dissatisfaction, inadequacy, and emptiness. And there can be a Christian version of this as well. Particularly in churches like ours, which would believe uh, in the kingdom of God, that Jesus has done something, but that there's more to come. And in a church where we uh, recognize that God still speaks today. He's spoken to us through the Bible once and for all. There's nothing to add. But through gifts of prophecy, other gifts of the Holy Spirit, God will speak to us. He'll show us uh, his purposes, show us more of what he's got for us. And we can end up with a sense of, well, not only is there more for me to aspire to in my job or my family or my kids need to be like this, as a Christian, there's more to aspire to. And there's more blessing to enter into and there's more power to experience and we need to see more healing and there's more blessing to come and the church needs to grow more and the church needs to have a bigger voice and there's more and more promises for you to enter into if you understood this teaching or if you, under, or if you live like this or if you got a hold of God's word like this then there'd be so much more blessing. So the very place you can come to expecting to receive rest can be the very place where you can get provoked to think actually there's an awful lot more so come on, you better work even harder at church. That makes sense? Now of course there's more. Of course this isn't the fullness of everything. I'm going to talk about that this morning. But just to highlight that sometimes even in the Christian world there can be a sense of there's still more and you haven't entered into it yet. So come on, work harder, pray harder, give more, love more, attend more meetings, conferences, videos, books or whatever else. And then maybe that emptiness will get filled. So I thought as we kicked off this series, I'd answer the question, wish you were here, this way. Where does God want you to be? In the middle of the ache, in the middle of the longing, in the middle of the emptiness, in the middle of busyness, in the middle of a desire to just get some rest. What's God's answer? Where does God want us to be? We're going to read something Paul wrote. It's from 2 Corinthians. Don't put it up yet. It will come up on the screen in a moment. It's the end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians. The context is Paul has been talking to the church about his sufferings, his persecution, his difficulties. Um, Because one of the things that would be going on, particularly in Corinth, is people would think, well, you can't be chosen by God. You can't be one of God's leaders. You can't be an apostle, as Paul was called, and, and have all this stuff going wrong. And Paul is actually saying, no, it's this that qualifies me. It's this that points to the fact I've been called by God. So he's talking about his sufferings, talking about his difficulties, then turns it into a teaching point about how do you live with that? How do you live with pressure? How do you live with suffering? Now, many of us are not facing what Paul suffered in terms of literal abuse and persecution for our faith. But Paul is talking about that and more generally in terms of, well, how do we live with pressure? How do we live with difficulty? How do we live when we're feeling like we're running on empty? And there's lessons there for us today in terms of wish you were here. So let's put it up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to begin begin reading in verse 16, then we're going to go through to chapter 5, because the chapters interrupt Paul. Firstly, Paul begins, persecution, suffering, pressure, therefore we don't lose heart. Outwardly, we're wasting away, if only. (coughs) Enough of my diet problems. I think what he's referring to, our bodies are getting weaker, we're tired, We don't feel we have the physical resources. We're wasting away. They're outwardly wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. For Paul, that's imprisonment, that's shipwrecked, 
That's people betraying him, that's stonings. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal into the next chapter. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed we will not be found naked for while we are in this tent this world this body it's a tent says Paul we groan we're burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so what is mortal may be swallowed up by life now the one who's fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We'll stop there. What is Paul saying? Well, we can relate to so much of this. Outwardly, deteriorated, deteriorating, weakness, tiredness, worn down. But inwardly, says Paul, it's a different story. There may be what's happening outwardly. Yeah, there may be a lack of energy. There may be pressure, maybe tiredness. We're getting old. Our bodies are getting more frail. But internally, inwardly, in our heart, in our spirit, in the thing which is at the very center of us, there is renewal. And that renewal is happening day by day. Paul, how do you do this? How is it, Paul, there can be so much pressure, difficulty, hardship, for us, all the things I talked about in the introduction, and yet, Paul, you live in that, and yet your testimony is, your story is, you are renewed inwardly how do you do that for Paul it runs through this passage the eternal perspective in that Paul is looking forward looking for what is to come he's not looking at what is happening now but he's looking at the fullness of everything that God has promised and everything that God is going to do in the future see what God has been doing through history the whole big story of what's in the Bible right from the beginning when we reject God, God's rescue plan, and then it culminating in sending Jesus and his death and resurrection is pointing forward to what we have been saved for. We have received, the reason why many of us are in this room is because God has saved us from sin, made us righteous. He has done all of that, but there's a greater fullness of that to come when the whole world will be made new. That's what Paul is referring to when he says in this passage, to just keep it on the first slide for a bit, the first half, chapter 4 reading, when Paul talks about eternal glory. Outwardly, it's like this. Inwardly, we're being renewed. Why? Because these pressures and this suffering are achieving an eternal glory. Paul, what's an eternal glory? What, are we all kind of floating around? Playing harps, glowing. What do you mean eternal glory, Paul? What, what's he talking about? Well, the different things he says through the passage. He talks about a building from God. He talks about a house, a home for his family, built by God, not built by people. He talks about mortality being swallowed up in life. So this life, which is temporary, being swallowed up in eternal life. All of this language that's run through this passage, Paul is talking about the new creation that one day when Jesus comes again and makes everything new, not just us, so we're new in here, but we get new bodies, but there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, there'll be a new creation. Revelation talks about this in greater detail. At the end of Revelation, we see a new city, the new Jerusalem, with God at the center, filled with people. And in this city, there is no more death, there's no more sickness, there is no more sadness. That is what Paul is talking about. 
Paul is saying he's looking forward to the fullness of our salvation, the fullness of what God has rescued us for, that he's rescued us now, he's made us new inside, outwardly we're deteriorating, but there is still sin in the world, there is still unrighteousness, there is still pressure, there is still difficulty, there is still temptation, there is still sickness. This isn't the fullness, God has rescued us for far more than this and it's coming. That's what Paul is talking about to be with God forever and ever, to be made fully righteous, no more evil sickness or injustice. Paul is saying that is the eternal glory. Wish you were here? That's where God wants us to be. The whole story points to that. From the beginning to the end, God wants to be with his people. And he wants to be with his people where there is no wickedness, where there is no injustice, where there is no oppression, where there is no selfishness. God wants purity, holiness, joy, laughter, and delight, and wants to be with his people. And that's the picture, that's the vision, that's where this is going. And Paul says, that is what we're living for. That is how we're inwardly renewed. That is the eternal glory that this is achieving for us. This isn't just a test, this isn't just pressure to work through. No, that is going to win something bring about what Jesus won for us on the cross. It's not just here that this gets written about. This runs through the New Testament. If we can put up Romans 8, I think that's on there. <clears throat> Paul says this. It's a passage which we quote later on about nothing separating us from his love. Why is Paul saying that? Because of here, early in the chapter. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The rescue that God is going to reveal in us in that day. For the creation waits, all of creation, all of it, all the stars, all the planets, everything, all the insects, all the plants, waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For God's plan to come to its fullness. A couple of verses later, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the first Fruits being, this is the first sign of God's work. Creation hasn't been made new yet. It's not a new heaven or a new earth. But there's new people, people with new hearts. The bodies are going to come. What if creation is going to come? The first fruits, the first sign, the first sign of the harvest, the first sign of the newness is in here. We're the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen isn't hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Same thing again. Look, this isn't it. Look at what God's doing. Look at what God's rescued for. That is hope. Yes, there's groaning, suffering, emptiness, tiredness at times, pressure from the world. Have this, buy this. Your life hasn't achieved anything yet. You must do this. The church sometimes can buy into that and it can seem relentless trying to make church work. But actually, God has won something, and it's inside of us, and it's going to come in its fullness. Peter puts it this way. Put, put up the Peter passage for me. 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth. That's what it means to know Jesus, to come to him in faith, to have him make us new inside. I think, yeah, that's happened to me. We, we're with you so far, Peter. But what into? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If Jesus has been raised, we will be raised. 
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So if you have days, as I do, where you think, is this it? Is this all there is at the moment? Jesus, I love you and I love everything you've done and I'll never leave you. But is, is this it? Still the pain, the times of praying for people and they're not healed? Or when I disappoint myself or when there's still sin in my heart? Or when I look at what happens in society and think, where's the church? And when I have the privilege, as some of you know, to travel into the Middle East and go to cities where there's hardly any believers. And where we're trying to get churches, albeit hidden ones, started. And think, Jesus, how long is this going to take? It's right that we ache. It's right that we groan. It's right that we feel that pressure. But there's an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. There is a fullness that is coming. The inheritance, Peter says, is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Talking our language. Written hundreds of years ago, but lives and screams at us today. Grief, trials, difficulty, emptiness, hardship. Is there more? Yes, says Peter. It's your inheritance. Jesus won it for you, and it's coming. But you've got to wait. How does this help us? How does it help Paul be renewed day by day? These scriptures are full of promises, but Paul says there's a renewal which can happen today. It's not simply a waiting. It's not simply an enduring. It's not simply, a, oh, okay, that's a good preach from Andy. I now know God wants us to be somewhere else. We've just got to wait a long time. I mean, we'll put up with stuff. No, that's not what Paul says. Paul says there's a renewal. Yeah, there's a pressure. Yeah, there's a deterioration. Yeah, he's living with suffering and difficulty outwardly. Inwardly, something's happening. How do we get that? How do we live in that? So let's just look at some of the things Paul says. Just go back to the first slide for us. Um, of that chapter 4 because most of it's in here firstly don't lose heart but Paul just says it we, we don't lose heart it's up, it's up to us yes we're burdened yes there's hardship but it's light and momentary compared with what is coming Paul's perspective is everything Paul's perspective is what enables him to be renewed day by day He's not kind of putting out promises out there and saying, well, claim this promise, take hold of this truth, live like this, and you will know eternal blessing. No, he's real. You read the list. I didn't read everything he said earlier for the sake of time. He's real about what they're suffering. He doesn't even say you'll escape suffering. He doesn't even say claim this promise or live like this or improve your life, and then you'll find there is no more suffering, no more difficulty, or no more persecution. He doesn't say that anywhere, unlike some teaching today, sadly. Now, what he says is it's light and it's momentary. <laughs> We're only here for a while. I think I'm more than halfway through now. I don't know. Who knows? My dad's in his 80s. Seems as strong as anything. I don't know how long I've got. It's for a moment. I don't know how long any of you have got. But when death comes... It's a doorway into the fullness of everything Jesus has won for us. When death comes, it's the entrance into everything we've longed for and ached for. 
and all of that dissatisfaction and all of that Jesus is there more. And is this all I'm working for? It used to be nine to five, now eight until seven, who knows, whatever, depending on what your job is and shift work and everything else. And then in some careers, you get an inspection every now and again to tell you you're not doing it right. Well, that works well, doesn't it? And all of that stuff. And every ache and every longing and every dissatisfaction and every pain. Death is but an entrance into the fullness of what we long for and what we groan for. And Paul says that's how he does not lose heart because his perspective is different from looking at what's happening now and saying this is light, this is momentary, this is passing. Don't look at now. Paul says it's fading away. It's temporary. The difficulties, the hardships, the doubts we can have, the weakness. We need to be ruthless with what the world tells us about success and what makes a great life. We need to be ruthless with it. We're bombarded, as I said earlier, social media, advertising, friends, just going down to the shops, everything that's there. And and we can so easily, without thinking about it, get sucked into stuff that we think would improve our life and make life better. There's nothing wrong with buying new things. Nothing wrong with having a good shopping trip. But it is wrong if you think that's what's going to fill the emptiness. It is wrong if the church buys into living the same way as the world does. We must be ruthless with the messages we receive that tell us we're inadequate or we're not doing well or other people are better than us or we are failing. I think the devil is loving some of this stuff that's going on and loving the fact that through a little device in our hand, Christians can be bombarded with so many negative messages. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying switch it off, although sometimes it probably does some of us good. What I am saying is, don't let that shape what happens in here. Don't let that shape what you think about yourself, your life, what you're living for. Be ruthless, because it's all lies. Even some of the Christian stuff which comes through, I've seen it. I log on to my wife's account every now and again, and it just enforces why I don't like it, some of it. Lots of lovely stuff in terms of cash out with friends. But even some of the other stuff that can come through in terms of stuff in the church can all be about if only this or, or your life being like this or knowing God like that. Now, some of it's very encouraging, but some of it you can still make you feel that you're inadequate. We need to be ruthless with this. So Paul says, let's not lose heart. Let's realize this is temporary. It is fading away. Be ruthless is what the world is saying. We don't belong to the world. Paul's phrases about this being temporary, this being a tent, this is passing. We don't belong here. It's one of the reasons why we groan. It's one of the reasons why we long for more. It's because what Jesus has put inside of us isn't from this world. All that the world desires and tells us that we should be, it will pass. It will go. It's but for a moment. We don't belong here. This isn't our home. It's what Paul says, we long for a home. We long for that house. This is but a tent. We don't want to be found naked. We want to be clothed. Even the possessions and the affirmation and everything from the world. Paul says it's like being naked. It doesn't clothe us. It doesn't satisfy us. There's something eternal which is coming, which we long to be clothed in. We long to be dressed in. And we have tasted this. In Jesus' salvation and his love and his grace and his mercy and the new life which is inside of us, 
we have tasted it, haven't we? That's why we're here this morning. That's why we'll sing a little bit later and worship Jesus. That's why we'll feel so at home in his presence, because we have tasted it. And Paul writes about that. If you flick over to the next slide, to chapter 5, Paul says we've received a deposit in verse 5. We've more than tasted it. We've received something. We've received a deposit. When we came to Jesus and put our faith and trust in him, that was a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helped us do that. But then there is a fullness of that Holy Spirit being filled with his presence. Sometimes that brings joy, that can bring an intimacy and a closeness to God. It's through the Spirit, Paul tells us in Romans, that we cry, Abba, Father, that we know intimacy with him. We don't just come to him as an almighty Lord and God and feel inadequate. We come to him, we call him Father. It's through the Holy Spirit that does that. We know intimacy and closeness. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church. It empowers us and strengthens us. The Holy Spirit brings revelation of who God is. Many of us, have we know what we're talking about when we talk about the fullness of the Spirit and everything that we have received. The Holy Spirit, God making himself known in our lives through his Spirit. And we love his presence. We love the encouragement we get. We love the strength that we get and the encouragement and the intimacy and the love. Paul says that's a deposit. That's a deposit. It's guaranteeing something else which is to come. See, what we encounter today in our meeting through the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God that we'll enjoy, the encouragement and strength that will come, that's not all that the Holy Spirit's about. The Holy Spirit is also a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, demonstrating inside of us, God living inside of us saying, hey, there's more, there is more, there's a deposit. This is a guarantee But that future glory, that eternal life, that new creation, that building from God is definitely coming. And you're in. It's Paul's words, a deposit, guaranteeing. It's not just a kind of hope that the world may have, I hope tomorrow's better, or I hope work's going to be better, I hope after my holiday I feel rested. No, this is a far stronger hope. This is a guarantee. Someone gives you a deposit for something, that's legally binding. And if they then go out on that deal or you then renegade on that deal, well, then you can go to court and stuff. You know, it's, it's a down payment of saying there is more coming. There, this isn't everything. This is just some of it. There's a whole lot more coming. I'm going to buy that off you. So here's the down to payment, the 10% you wanted, and there is more coming. And then when I give you the more, then this is yours. That's what Paul's talking about. If you have received the Holy Spirit, friends, if you have benefited from knowing God's presence, if you have benefited from feeling close to him, intimate uh, with him, calling him the Father, knowing his love, knowing his peace, that's wonderful for now. That's everything that you've needed for now is encouragement and strength for now. But the thing we don't often look at is actually it's pointing forward to something else. It's pointing forward to the fullness of what God has rescued you for, to the fullness of what the church is to the fullness of God living with his people where there is no more death, no more ache, no more pain, no more longing, no more confusion, but we are with him forever and ever. If it's a deposit that guarantees, that means it's done. This is really important. No one can take that deposit from you. When Jesus comes, he's not going to turn up and kind of Fantastic. Right, he's got the deposits. Deposits, but I'm oh, sorry, mate, I've changed my mind. Anyone got the deposits? 
or you didn't quite make it, or you didn't quite know enough of the Bible, or anything those promises enough, or claim this enough, or anything else. So we'll give that deposit to someone else. It's guaranteed. It's done. Who's done it? Come, you've been very quiet. I'm preaching my heart out. There's been a few silent amens. I've seen them. Who's done it? Jesus has. What have you done? Nothing. Zero. And yet you're guaranteed in. It's there. It's done. It's guaranteed. There's longing. There's ache. There's pain. There's suffering now. But there's a guarantee that you and I have, and Jesus won it for us, that we will be with him forever and ever and ever. When it comes to righteousness, he's done it. You're declared righteous. Paul says in Romans, the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in you. You think, really? Look at how I've lived this week. If you'd have heard me on the phone to that person and when I lost it a bit, if you'd have seen what was inside my head when that relationship got difficult and the things I thought, if you'd have seen how I lost it with the kids, if you'd have seen the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in you. It was never anything to do with you. It was everything to do with Jesus. That's the scandal and the wonder of grace. I'll come on to something in a minute. Folks, you think, well, hang on, what about this? What about that? We'll, we'll get to that. But just let the Jesus thing do its work. This is guaranteed. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm telling my friends enough about Jesus or I don't know if I'm handling this right or doing this right. Listen, it was never about anything you did. It was only everything about what Jesus did. And this is guaranteed. It has been done. Everything that you think you need to add, every prayer, every bit of sacrificial living or every time you think you should tell a friend about Jesus or all the kind of work stuff we can put on us in terms of am I really living a good Christian life? Is God pleased with me? Wrong question. It's done. It's finished. It's guaranteed. You're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. He's living in you by his Holy Spirit. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you. In fact, right now he's preparing a home for you which is even more glorious and more wonderful where he can be with you forever and ever and you've got the deposit and you'll walk up there and say here's my deposit and he'll fling his arms around you and say I've been waiting for you come on in that's where we're going that's what God wants that's God's wish you were here the whole story beats with it the whole of God's heart beats with it you think he longs he longs even more I want my church I want my bride I want us to be together forever and ever and ever and I've given them a deposit and no one's going to take it in fact the personal thought he could was Satan and I took care of him he took my son's life he took his breath but on the third day I raised him to life and he has been defeated, and every wickedness and evil power has been thrown down with him, and it's guaranteed that you'll be with him forever and ever, and there's nothing you need to add to it because Jesus has done it. Hallelujah. That is what brings rest. That is what it means to be renewed day by day and to know strength coming to you, not because you're working harder, not because you're praying harder, not because you've added some stuff into your life that you didn't have before, but because of what Jesus has done. Yes, we know to long more of God's power. We, know, we long to know more of his love, more of his healing. These are good desires. The kingdom has come, but we're to pray, may it come fully, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're good desires. But if we're not careful, that can lead us to a dissatisfaction and a discontent and a disappointment, and to cynicism, if we don't pray it from a place of what Jesus has already won, if we don't pray it from a place of what is already ours. 
Paul wants the church to understand God has done everything for us to be rescued from sin and evil, for righteousness to come and for healing to come. And the fullness of that is going to come when Jesus comes again. God will make everything new and we will know the fullness of his love, the fullness of his power, the fullness of healing. And that is guaranteed. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, the writer refers to salvation, everything that we've just been talking about, as rest. So that righteousness, that peace, that unity with God, that intimacy, that rescuing from evil, salvation. And he refers to different parts of Israel's history and says this points to rest, entering into the promised land, etc., etc. refers to it as rest because God's done everything for us. This is real rest. You don't need a holiday. You don't need less working hours. All of those things will be very, very helpful. I understand that. And are good things to have. But true rest comes from knowing we are saved and knowing that he has rescued us and we don't have to do any work. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says. Then says this, make every effort to enter that rest. Ah! (laughs) There's that effort word again. All he means is, is live in what God has done. That's what it means. That's where the effort comes. That's where the work comes for us, friends. The thinking, hang on, I'm going to stop listening to what the world's telling me. Hang on a minute, I need to get this scripture out and let it live in me. That, that's where the work is. Not because we're trying to achieve something, claim something, or know more power, or take hold of a healing, or get hold of a promise to be fulfilled. But to let the truth of what God has done bring rest to our hearts. Does that make sense? That's where the effort is. That's what Paul talks about when he says, work out your salvation. Oh, the work word is there. The effort word is there, but not to claim, achieve, improve, or add, but to enjoy what God has done and what he has already won for you. The work is in living in the good of what God has done, not trying to add to it, achieve it, but to walk in it. Wish you were here. There's no better place than this. See, this is true rest. This is how you overcome fear. You want security? You know, numbers of people now aren't traveling to various countries, even countries that they thought were safe, not even those necessarily associated with the Middle East, because they're fearful. We won't go out of our houses soon. Stuff that happened in London this week. I mean, it's tragic. It's sad. Fear runs through our culture. There's no guarantee for any of us that we will be safe. But there's security in this rest. Wish you were here. How do you overcome fear? With this truth. Death, yeah, it could come to some of us more quickly than what we think. I don't know. But I don't need to be fearful of it. Don't need to be worried about it. Don't need to be thinking, how can I protect my wife and my children from it? I'll leave that one with God. Yeah, I want to make wise choices and everything else. But I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not living fear of what's going to happen tomorrow or something's going to go wrong. Let's move off from death. Maybe some kind of job loss or, or some difficulty in the family. Fear can grip us. The unknown. Friends, we more than anybody live with the known. We know the end of the story. Why be paralyzed by the unknown? Why be paralyzed by what hasn't come? We think the bad news that happened or things that may go wrong this week or next week or next month. Listen, we might not know that bit, but we know the end. We know the main bit. This 
is how you know courage and overcome fear. This is how you overcome anxiety. What is there to be anxious about? Really? I mean, Jesus said that. He's very honest. He said, don't be anxious. Tomorrow? Yeah, there's plenty of trouble coming. That's what he said. But who can add a day to your life? By worrying. In other words, live in it. And I'm with you. And don't fear the world, because I've overcome the world. That's what he said to his disciples later. So Jesus knew. He said, yeah, there is trouble. Paul doesn't say, as I said earlier in this passage, here's how you escape. Or here's how you make sure God can protect you. Or here's how you make sure you can live in a bubble of blessing and not have these things affect you. No, it's real. They're there. Just don't be anxious about it. Why? Because we know the end of the story. This is passing. It's light. It's momentary. Emptiness. Yeah, we still groan. We still ache. We still have longings. But make sure, therefore, the fullness of what Jesus has won for us. Won for us. And not for the things the world offers, or not simply trying to think we've got to improve our Christianity somehow. Let's ache and long as the author of Revelation finishes the book with the Spirit. Oh, I love this verse. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. That's our longing. That's our answer to wish you were here, yeah, with Jesus forever and ever. When everything that causes me pain, everything that wears me out, everything that can run us down is gone and finished. And when I pray that and cry that, that's what it means to be renewed every day.